Welcome to a podcast dedicated to your mental health. Hi, I'm Bailey with the Recording Library of West Texas. Hi, I'm Christy Edwards. I'm the Executive Director and a therapist at Centers for Children and Families. Hi, I'm Melanie Size. I'm the Marketing and Development Director at Centers for Children and Families. Together, we're bringing you tips and tricks on how to navigate this thing called life. This is Center Solutions. <laughs> Due to the nature of some of the topics that are discussed, listener discretion is advised. Hey, it's Bailey, Christy, and Melanie back with another episode, and we have a very special guest in the studio with us today. We have Dr. Stephanie Moses. Hi, welcome to the Hello, show. Hello, thank you so much for having me, ladies. Thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your background and training. Okay, well, I am a Texas native. I grew up in Dallas, and I went to the University of Texas at Austin for everything. Went straight through from undergraduate through graduate school. Graduated with my doctorate in clinical psychology in 2008 and moved promptly out to West Texas to begin my journey here. And when did you move to West Texas? In 2008, August of 2008. Uh-huh. I was promised by my significant other that it would be one year, and it's been 11. <laughs> and, we're so so, and we are so glad we're here, and I'm also the mom of four. It sure has changed since 2008. It has changed a lot, which I'm happy with, partly. And what do you specialize in? So my immediate clinical focus areas tend to be on postpartum depression and trauma. And what exactly is the Texas Tech University Health Science Center? Absolutely. So Texas Tech University is, is a state university, and it has several different schools um, in the university, a law school, and medical schools. So the medical schools who I work for, we have regional campuses, one in Lubbock, which is the main campus, and then we have uh, an Amarillo and a Permian Basin campus, and I am on the Permian Basin campus in the Department of Family and Community Medicine. And what drove you to pursue a career in therapy? Have you always wanted to do that? No, absolutely not. I took Psych 101 and got a C in it, hated it. <laughs> but uh, the, the more I continued my journey at the University of Texas, it just seemed like what I gravitated, gravitated towards just naturally. Uh, and then when I was graduating with my BA in Psych and Business, my dad said, well, great, now you can go get a job, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I went to school for six more years and became a doctor. Wow. And the longer I studied it, the more it just really seemed like it fit. It was just my personality. So you moved straight to the Texas Tech University Center right after your doctorate. Yes. And you've been there since. And I have been there since. That's amazing. Yeah. So something really interesting about you also is that you are an author of a book. Yes. And I want to know all about this book. Particularly, I want to know about the front cover because I think oh, that it's I an awesome it. front cover. Thank First you. of all, tell us what the book is about. And it is called In Session. Yes. Okay. Tell us about... What, um, just give us a little bit of background on the book and then explain to us the front cover. Okay, so in session is meaning to depict a therapy session. What happens when you're in a therapy session? Uh, so the book is a fictional account and it follows four characters, four women living with untreated mental health conditions through their process of therapy and their initial healing. And I say initial healing because there is a book too coming. So uh, so you get to follow the, the women as their lives just kind of unfold and you can see exactly really what therapy looks like, at least from my clinical perspective. And will it be a continuance, book number two, will it be a continuance of the same characters within the story? Oh, it sure will. How exciting. It's going to get so even more juicy. You, when did you write the book? Well, so the book has been, you know, in part of my imagination for years, and I just never thought it was going to get off the ground. Uh, and so, you know, I just kind of 
I would write a little bit and, and then throw it all away. I would trash it all and write a little bit more and trash just, it. Just like Stephen King. Well, okay, I'll take that compliment. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't think so, but okay, we'll take that. Uh, so I guess about two years ago now, I said I have to do this. Uh, I really started getting into understanding and wanting to reduce the stigma of mental health, particularly among communities of color. And so I started thinking if I write a completely fictional account, maybe more people could identify with it as opposed to a self-help or a memoir or right. something so of that nature. I like that you made it fiction. Um, it's real situations, if yes. I'm not mistaken, but written in a fictional format. Absolutely. All the conditions and the symptoms that they experience are real, and it shows how they can manifest in daily activities or in lifestyles. Uh, and their diagnosis are actual real diagnoses. So, But everything, all of the stories... Uh, that each of the ladies, their life experiences are completely fictional. A lot of my patients and clients start to ask if it's about them. <laughs> but, but I can understand that assured. because I, you're reading the book and you can certainly relate to a lot, if not all, of the characters on some level. So I understand well, how you. people would say, is that me? Right, right. Well, that was my goal was to uh, have it, you know, be really generalizable and have people relate to it. But honestly, all of the characters are really parts of me, if I will be very honest with that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Okay, tell us about, if you can, can you kind of describe the front cover for our visually impaired listeners? Sure. Um, and do you know the person on the front cover? Well, a lot of people think it's me, but uh -huh. it's not <laughs> at all. I don't know her, never laid eyes on her. I think she's beautiful, whoever she's she beautiful. is. I don't even know if she's a real person or if the graphic artist did it. Yeah, so uh, I'm not sure if she's a model or not. Um, so what happened when I was uh, choosing the cover is that I gave the publisher an idea of what I wanted to depict on the front cover. We went through a lot of different drafts. But the drafts initially were did not speak to me. They didn't have a human component to them. Uh, and so I had a really hard time after they came back with that particular cover and my choice of however many, three or four, that one popped, I mean, because it's a lady, there's a gray background, and there's an African-American woman on the cover with these bright red lipstick, and I love, you know, women that wear bright red lipstick. I just think yeah. that that, um, that really speaks to your character and, and your confidence and your strength. Uh, and so she's in what I think is probably a very awkward pose covering one eye, but she's got on this beautiful white sweater. Uh, and so the cover just really pops, and then there's a tagline that says, strong women don't do therapy, uh, because I think that that's uh, a message that is sent particularly through the communities of color, that yes. you don't need to do that. I right. agree, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I think, Melanie, you have a, you're going to read an excerpt from the book, um, just to kind of give us an idea of the context and monologue that goes on within the story. Um, I am. I'm going to read a, a little, a few parts of, uh, of a section of a character uh, called Sophie. And it's an interaction that Sophie is having with her mother. So some of the great things about this book is that you can actually see some of uh, the therapy sessions, what brings them into therapy. So uh, let me start with Sophie. Sophia, I've never seen you look this way. You look a sight. Why haven't you been taking care of yourself? This is Sophie's mother. This is a conversation of an adult woman uh, with her mother. Uh, so her mom goes on and, and has some uh, curt and critical conversation, and you can see Sophie's starting to react to it. And at some point she says, Who says I'm upset about my life? Sophie asked, trying to keep her voice down, relieved that they were outside and they were in an environment that tuned out voices like her own. 
You do. Everything about you just screams upset. You weren't raised to be what you are. And now you're learning that it's not for you. You can't take your children anywhere because I've seen them, and the two of them together are a holy terror. That's something you brought on yourself. You're trapped at home, and that's largely due to William not wanting you to ever leave. You think I don't know? You're having an emotional crisis. It's written all over your face. I hear it when we're on the phone. I hear it when you talk about the boys. I hear it when you talk about William and what you have to do for everyone. You don't mention yourself. You leave yourself out of it. You should be taking yourself into account. You should talk to me about it, you know, she said, and took another gentle bite of her cheese and locks. So they go on and they continue to have conversation. Sophie felt the tears well up in her eyes, but she couldn't cry there, not in public like that. How am I supposed to talk to you if you criticize everything I do? She scoffed a little at that notion. I'm not being critical. I'm being honest. There may be things you don't know about me, about my childhood, and perhaps it's time you do. But first, let me say that since you and William have stopped coming to church with me, I've noticed your changes more and more. I think if you started coming again and perhaps had to sit down with the pastor or his wife, you might feel better. Thank you. Sure. It was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, by the way, we're always needing volunteer narrators. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Stephanie, can you tell us about that scene? Um, so basically, a lot of people try to tell you what they, they think you need for therapy. Uh, or when Moms and daughters. Right. Yeah. yeah. So let's dive into that. <laughs> let's, right in. let's just get to the meat and potatoes of it. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you, You're asking in particularly... What is the scene about yes. and what's what's really behind it? Sophie has a very interesting relationship with her mother. Her mother and um, Sophie is an African-American woman. And typically in the black community, mothers are very strong and very dominant. Uh, and sometimes that can manifest in a little bit of criticism or it can be perceived as, as criticism. Uh, and so Sophie's parents have worked very hard to make sure she's successful and she's an Ivy League graduate and she's chosen to stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom, which she thinks is fine, but she's actually uh, having some issues adjusting to her life. She's got these twins, and she doesn't know what to do with them. (laughs) And uh, her husband tends to be extremely dominating, too. And often, we end up marrying one of our parents. (laughs) I've heard that my entire life, and it's true. That is absolutely (laughs) true. So that uh, particular scene was uh, Sophie's mom basically letting her know, hey, something's up, you've changed, which sometimes our family members don't do, they ignore it. And so the good thing is that Sophie's mom is saying something's wrong with you and, it and might not you're not be happy. The, the best presentation, but at least she's it, aware that her absolutely. daughter, something is going on within her life. Yes, it was a horrible way to present it to Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> but often, and, and you know, I'm a mom at four and I don't say everything correctly all the time. You know, sure, a lot of times we're, human, we're, yeah. we're led by our emotions and our fear for our children. And so, and we say things that are not appropriate and, and are not, they don't go over well, but sometimes we're planting seeds, you know? And so it was what Sophie needed to hear in that particular moment, even though she didn't respond to it very well. So let's say someone is in the same position as Sophie and obviously someone within their family who they love and trust has told them, hey, I think it's time that maybe you start paying attention to your behavior changes or mental health. How do you how do you deal with that internally as a person when someone you love says, hey, I think something's off? 
Well, I don't know, Chris, if you want to jump in with that, or do you want me to go? Keep forward? talking. Okay. I'll jump in. Uh, I think when it's someone we trust, right, just because it's a family member doesn't necessarily mean we trust them. Mm. Uh, trust them mm-hmm. emotionally, mm-hmm. right? And so Mel's <laughs> laughing. Yes, we've all, yes, we've yeah. all experienced that. But I, I do think that when someone that we love and trust, no matter how it's, the, how it's presented to us, when we notice that shift in mood or emotion, you know, that twinge in your stomach or your heart starts racing or maybe the heat, you know, builds up in your body because you're getting angry. I think that that is a great signal to stop and think, are we offended by what they're saying because it's hurt our feelings? Are they correct? Or maybe we're just completely misunderstood. And in those moments, you can respond appropriately according to whatever it is. But most of the time, when someone's noticed our behavior has changed, we've already noticed it. Absolutely. And what the first step is to contact a counselor or psychologist, someone with a professional background? Well, sure. I, I think that, you know, sometimes mental health services can be a bit difficult to get to because you have, if you have insurance, you might need a referral. Uh, and there's different hoops sometimes you have to jump through, which I think is one of the unfortunate parts of the work that we do. But you can always just go to your doctor. You go to your doctor, you can go to a school counselor if you are in school or college. Uh, a lot of companies, corporate organizations have EAPs, which is employee assistance programs that will give you free sessions of counseling. But if you're feeling that something's not right, meaning your uh, daily activities have been impacted in some way, I think you have a lot of places to reach out to. Even churches have pastoral counseling. And so there's there's places, but you can always start with a, your family physician or primary care doctor. I think, Go ahead. I think what the, uh, the, the neat thing about this book is that it does address the stigma. And that's what is, I think, the first step you have to get yes. over before you do anything else. And a lot of times when it is a cultural, it, it's, it's culturally built into you to feel like you have to be strong, that asking for help is a sign of weakness. I mean, I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. I know that's, that's part of different uh, ethnic cultures. And just we've talked about this. It's just a part of different uh, cultures based on the timeline and in our mm-hmm. different generations. So oh, right. definitely within my generation also. I mean, they kind of say, I hate the word millennial, but, um, you know, you're a millennial. You you haven't even been here long enough to need therapy. You don't Do you know. have an issue. Like, you don't have issues. You're just too yeah. young for issues. That's yeah. the right. best thing about millennials is that there is some a lot of stigma about a lot of subjects is not there. It doesn't Absolutely. exist. And yeah. it's so important. I see that with my kids. And I know I've, ironically, I work for a counseling center, but that was not something that was in, in my vocabulary growing up ever. It wasn't even mm-hmm. a thought. Uh, a big part of that is we don't talk about problems. Right. We don't discuss them. Ever. We're private people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, I think that kind of perpetuates this idea that it's not okay for you to go and do that because you're going to upset somebody in the family. Yeah. So, yeah, let's remember not in the not too distant past, you got drugged to your local pastor. Yes. Or like if you had a Boy Scout leader or mm-hmm. something like that, it's like, we don't know what to do. Tell us what to do with them. Exactly. They're not in mental health professionals. They, you know, they, they can pray over you, they can try to guide you, but you really need to reach out to that mental health professional. Yes. What are some other factors that would cause someone not to seek counseling? In this day and age, I know money, but the, mm-hmm. but that's the good thing about centers. It offers discounted uh, therapy yes. sessions, if not free. Right. Um, well, one of the things 
I, that we run into is, is the time it takes. You know, you know, do I have to take off work and, you know, or, you know, if I have to take my kid out of school, I don't want them to miss school. Even though at MISD, ECISD, they recognize this as just a regular doctor's visit. So, oh. you know, there's not yeah, that's, any... That's good to know. Yeah, there's, yes. there's no repercussions to taking your child out. However, you have to go pick your child up, take them, and our sessions are 45, 50 minutes long, and then, you know, to try to get them back. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're investing that time in yes. your child's health. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't think twice about taking them to physical therapy. Right. Or the or, premier care, their pediatrician. The, right. Yes, that's exactly right. So you've got to you've got to uh, commit yourself to to taking care of their mm -hmm. mental health as well as you do their physical health, right. mm -hmm. which will help their academic health. Which will it will absolutely. And you know, I actually even say that mental health is physical because a lot of the conditions have symptoms that are very physical, mm -hmm. right? What for, are what are some examples of the physical symptoms? Sure. Well, for instance, depression comes with sleep issues. You sleep too much or not enough. You can't concentrate. Um, or difficulty concentrating, your appetite is restricted or you're eating too much, right? Your energy is very low. Those are all very physical symptoms, right? And, and for so, kiddos, they're, they're gonna say, my stomach hurts. Right. They can't tell you I'm anxious about exactly. something. It's my stomach my hurts. My tummy hurts. They just see yeah. it as a stomach. Headaches. Yeah, they, don't, they don't know headaches. how to, what yeah. to call it. Yeah, they'll as have headaches, they'll have diarrhea, like they'll have mm -hmm. constipation. I mean, so it manifests in absolutely a lot of different ways among a lot of different age groups. but. I think kind of wrapping around to what we were talking about before, before I changed the subject, was one of the other things. I had it this morning. A lady came in first time to see me and was extremely anxious, and she was worried that I was going to think she was crazy and put her in a psychiatric facility. I mean, so a lot of times what keeps people from coming in is they don't know how we're going to perceive them. And unfortunately, another time she reached out for help, actually not even a year ago, August of last year, she was honest with her doctor, and they put her in a psychiatric facility without telling her. And wow. she, right. And so, I mean, I think that those kind of things and stories, because now guess what? She'll go and tell her family that this is what happened. Mm -hmm. It perpetuates this idea that, you know, therapy or going to get professional help is for those people, or you're crazy, or you can't handle it on your own, or you're weak. And those messages to me are absolutely absurd and wrong. And kind of one thing that I'm saying now to promote is silence is not strength, you know? I love those clients who run up to you in Albertsons or a restaurant or whatever. It's like, Miss Christy, Miss Christy, you know, and they want to hug you. Yeah. And, or, you know, we will have people that will try to buy our dinner if we're eating out, mm -hmm. my family and I, and they'll walk over and they'll say, you know, the therapist at centers or your wife, you know, help save my marriage or whatever. Right. I love those people that are saying, I'm okay with people knowing that I reached out for help and got it. That's right. Mm -hmm. and, and it was successful. And it was successful. You know? So I have one one client that she's always like, she's telling everybody, this is my shrink. And I'm like, stop telling them that because they're not going to think I'm very good. <laughs> you have made no progress. I'm kidding. Being the marketing director, I run into people, and I'm not talking about that in particular. I'm talking about our services, but I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come to me and have openness and inviting really confidential information about how centers has helped them and yeah. only because they are so strong in their belief in what mm -hmm. centers has done or what the therapist has done so i think that's a yeah. huge compliment and it it's it's an evidence that this stuff works it's important it, it works and it's wonderful i took my son to centers he was acting out last um summer partly because of what i was lacking in my own parenting took him to centers, and we had a great experience. Even after he didn't, quote, unquote, need to go back, he kept saying, well, when can I go back? I want to go back. I love going. And, you know, we're talking about a 13-year-old boy wanting to go 
talk to his therapist. And at first I thought it was just because he thought she was cute because she was really cute. But he really <laughs> enjoyed it. And yeah, he got something out of That's it. Amazing. He really did. Maybe a so, little both. You know, yeah. Little both. Hey, whatever motivates <laughs> you to go. But he really, he enjoyed it. And so I not only, you know, work with centers and do a lot of referrals, but I use them myself. I know that I am guilty of not going to see my counselor routinely and then until I just wait until it gets you know something comes up and then I go see her and I'm like I always feel so bad coming to talk to you because I you know I could just if I came every other week or something you know it probably wouldn't get to this point so uh, I think a lot of people are like that they're just like oh I need to go now because I don't know what what to do exactly we do talk to people about the importance of maintenance Mm -hmm. you know back in the day, I don't know how long ago this was, but you know, like your insurance company would only give you so many sessions. So you would use those up only if you needed them. And now it's a little mm-hmm. more humane and they recognize. So, you know, for them to go on, uh, you know, the importance of that maintenance. So it's like, I just need to come in for a checkup. Just like we all go to our doctors if we're smart for, you know, yearly physicals mm-hmm. or, and things like that. So now it's just a check-in is good mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. life, if life threw you a curve once, it could do it again and right. come on in and let's just stay viable. So let's talk a little bit about some of the treatments for, let's, let's focus on anxiety. I think that that's a very common denominator in our society um, right now, I think. That has that a is. big health tie-in, too. Yeah. Humongous. Think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Stephanie, if you want to talk a little bit about what are some ways that we can deal with anxiety. Sure. Yeah, so uh, going back towards Mel's point is there are huge implications, physical implications for anxiety, everything from you know, it exacerbates symptoms for hypertension and diabetes and stomach issues and IBS. I mean, it, it just can run rampant in our bodies. You hear about people going into the hospital thinking yes, they've had a heart attack and it's an anxiety, an anxiety attack. attack. Right, because it, if you haven't ever had one, it is very real and very, very scary. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you do feel like you're about to die because you're short of breath. I mean, it, it can be very, very scary. So there are wonderful, wonderful treatments out there for anxiety. So we have a series of medications that you could be prescribed that either can work on contact or either preventatively. And most physicians are moving more towards the preventative meds. They're less addicting, so that's always a good thing. Uh, And they just kind of help calm your central nervous system, which is where that stress cortisol, you know, hormone lies in, in that area of the body. But, you know, no research supports just medications alone. It's medications and therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people just want to modify it with therapy. But I think therapy and and really your diet, don't you think, and your activities do do a, a lot. So diet and activities can be extremely important. I push probiotics and omegas and green leafy vegetables. Um, I also push structure and routine. A lot of times anxiety will persist or exacerbate because we are thinking too far forward or too far behind and not in the current place where we are think about today um because we're worried about the unexpected and the unknown and so um so i push some of those uh natural supplements just for mental clarity but then in the therapy we figure out what is the cause for anxiety but you know what sometimes you probably agree with this there's no rhyme or reason for it it's just a genetic glitch uh and so we then talk about what will trigger panic attacks what exacerbates them um, I tend to think of anxiety, Christy, I don't know if you do this as well, but as mental and a physical component. So we worry, which is the mental part of it. Um, and then the physical are the physical symptoms, the shortness of breath, the tightness in your chest. So we work to 
develop techniques that are individualized to help that person if the physical components come on. And then we do cognitive reprocessing, which is changing how you think, um, to help with the cognitive component mm -hmm. of it. We call it retraining your brain. Yep. <laughs> that sounds like a long process. Well, and you know, it depends, it depends on the person, right? And yeah, so some people, yeah, and it's really not as difficult as you think. And, and I think we all try to just break it down very easily and, and teach baby steps. But our brains, particularly for the mental component, they're like any other muscle, you know. And so athletes go out and practice every day. So when they're in the game, they don't have to think about it. They, their bodies just perform muscle memory. Our brains are the same way. So when you're retraining your brain and you practice, 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 then all of a sudden it becomes automatic. I was listening to a, uh, I listened to a life coach podcast too, and she said something interesting that I thought, wow, that's a great way to look at it. What if taking care of yourself was a job description, a job requirement? What if that was something you had to do? You know, would mm -hmm. that put that on the top of the radar? I love would, it. Yeah. Like if you don't take care of yourself, you can't do anything else a hundred percent. That's right. You're, you're lacking in every other area for sure. That well, makes sense. And, and people in our business that are already nurturers and, you know, carers, we tend to put ourselves last, yeah. you know. So we need mental health days. We need mental health help. Yep. I happen to work with some of the best therapists in the Permian Basin, so I can always go sit in somebody's office and go, okay, mm -hmm. what is going on with me? My anxiety level is up or, yeah. you know, whatever. So, um, you know, we need it too. We I was actually going to ask it. that question just because I was curious and I've been meaning to ask, but now that we have two uh, counselor psychologist on the show I'd love to ask how do you guys take care of yourself being in that field every you know mm -hmm. you do it every single day how do you guys take care of yourself mm -hmm. and your mental health well with years of practice you kind of learn to you know compartmentalize a little bit you know but but you take the, you take those clients stories home you have concerns about them because they become you know you kind of invade their lives and you know a lot about what's going on, so you do worry about some things. But at some point, you've got to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with, you know, your healthy environment. You've got, um, you know, supportive family and friends, that you're taking some time off, that you're seeking help if you need help, and that you're doing the things Stephanie was talking about. You've got to eat healthy, get some exercise, try to get the proper amount of sleep, um, do some meditation, deep breathing, those mm -hmm. kind of things. So going back and talking about the uh, combination of uh, medication and therapy, um, I think Chris, Christy and Dr. Stephanie would like to talk about a collaboration that we, are, we have uh, between Texas Tech and centers that's going to be an innovative way to combine those two things. They just did a little dance, and it was so cute. Yeah, they're so, yeah. Excited. Yes, we're so excited. We are. We're excited. <laughs> Well, I, I'm, pioneer woman stuff here. It is, and I am I am super excited about it. Christy, do you want me to yes, go this is for your baby it? Yes, and I'm, a, I'm part of it. Okay, well, so I will tell you a little bit about the inspiration for it. I, Like I mentioned earlier, I'm a psychologist in the Department of Family and Community Medicine, and what that means is, is you go to your primary care doctor, and I'm in that clinic. So it's not like you're going to a separate counseling center or psychiatry department. So 
you know, there's a bit of anonymity that you can have in, in that environment. Um, and But it also adds a great resource for the physicians there because I'm I'm there. And so like we said, a lot of this is not mutually exclusive, mental health and physical health. It's all in there together. So as our program and our department grew at Texas Tech, I was by myself and I couldn't handle it. <laughs> so I started thinking, how do you solve this problem besides just complaining? And one of the issues... That <laughs> Because I, I, I like to complain. I have to. You're talking about how do you take care of yourself? I complain, and I'm like, girl, let yourself complain today. That's okay. <laughs> you can have a complaining. This is going to be your day to complain. So uh, the problem just became real, and I started thinking of the deficits that I see, even when I do refer someone out to a different therapist, there's not a collaboration with the physician, which I think I had begun to start taking for granted. So I can collaborate with their medical doctor um, to really enhance the care. And I find that the people that I do that with have better outcomes. Oh, so yeah. I started, yeah. So I started thinking about how we could solve this problem, but then there's a really big gap for mental health clinicians that we don't understand basic physical medicine. I had to learn it on the job. I didn't learn it in my 10 years of education. Uh, and so I started thinking, well, if we grow up people from West Texas, maybe they'll stay in West Texas, but we can close that gap between the physical and the mental health uh, and educate physicians and mental health clinicians alongside of each other together and, and really increase the, either the symptom maintenance or their prognosis for a lot of our Permian Basin community. And that helps you also whenever you see a client that you have a little bit of background yes. about their medical history. And I think that it, it would be beneficial to doctors also because they might not know a whole lot about mental health. They work right. on the physical stuff, you know. Right, so exactly. Working hand in hand and collaborating, that sounds like a great idea. Um, so it, is it available to any doctor's office here in Midland? How, take me through the steps. How is that going to work? Right. So at this point, what we're, Christy and I are doing is we're going to recruit two fellows per year right now until we can handle more. Uh, and they'll primarily be based out of the Texas Tech Family and Community Medicine because we have 48 residents or so that we train. Um, and then they'll also spend half of their time at centers and helping provide all the services that centers see, but they will also then be rotating. And so my goal is to have them rotate to the rural communities so they will be able to treat people in rural medicine because that has a different feel than, than our medicine may here in, in Midland and Odessa. Uh, and then they'll rotate in the hospitals. And so they'll be in the EDs, in the emergency departments. They will be uh, rotating with our family medicine residents on their on their regular rounding because a lot of times people that are in the hospital don't feel good mentally and emotionally mm -hmm. and there's a component there too so that way we're not missing something and you came up with that by yourself yes <laughs> congratulations like, thanks <laughs> this this woman's brain never shuts off yeah. so she's always thinking about what can we do that will make things better who else can we reach how can we do that so I, I, and I think I always want to you know just kind of shine a lot on the fact that the people that we are training are going to have training that's basically unheard of for LPCs anywhere else. You're going to be alongside Stephanie, you're going to be alongside medical doctors, you're going to be working with the MHMRs, the probations. Mm -hmm. um, you're just, it's very comprehensive. So you're going to be so well Extremely. trained when you walk out of there, people are going to be fighting over you and what we're hoping is that we'll already have them locked down. Right, Cause yes, because we want them to keep them. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly. But this is, I mean, this is I didn't get this training, so I'm extremely mm -hmm. jealous. 
I did my <laughs> clinical hours at centers, and that's where I stayed. And I'm, so whenever I talk to a psychiatrist or a doctor, and they're talking about medication and this, and I'm sometimes like, please just talk to me. Yeah. Like, like, what I are you talking about? I, what are you talking about? Right. So. And a lot of times, the, the patients or the clients don't understand their medications either, right. you know? Oh, and so yeah, My this mom will, is 65. Yeah. She doesn't understand it. And exactly. I have to, I'll go research it for her, yeah. you know? And this can help close the gap. And, and what a lot of people don't understand is there's a lot of medical conditions that come comorbid with mm-hmm. the psych conditions. Like, mm-hmm. for instance... Um, about, I think the research shows maybe 12 months after the onset of diabetes, depression sets in. Up to two years after you have a stroke, depression can and anxiety can set in. I mean, so there's a lot of comorbidity here. And the first thing that people stop doing when they go into a depressive episode or they're anxious is taking care of themselves. So they'll stop taking their meds. And physicians don't understand why they're not being compliant or not taking their meds. Well, because they're not being treated for their depression or their anxiety. And what about reactions to medication that sometimes oh. you might not know, notice yourself, but if you're regularly going to a therapist, they might be able to pick up on some changes. And then once that yes. uh, collaboration is made and those conversations are had, you know, there's something there that we didn't realize and right. would not have realized. Right. Absolutely. So many times I can just walk right outside my door and either collaborate with the physician, which is another really neat thing, and say, hey, what do you think about this particular situation? And I'm thinking about maybe recommending this meds. Does it interact with any of the other meds that they're having? Or this doesn't make sense to me. What do you think medically could be going on? Because UTIs can create symptoms, which are urinary tract infections, can create symptoms that may seem like you have depression or psychosis or delusions, you know? Uh, So many physical conditions, syphilis. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that can manifest. If your thyroid is off, it can manifest as depression. So a lot of times just to be able to walk outside of my door and say, hey, you know, what's going on? Because at the end of our days, let's just be real. If we've seen so many clients or patients and the physician has to, we don't want to sit and have a conversation at six o'clock at night about collaborating. So it's just really cool to be able to walk outside and say, what do you think about this? And Let's start this. And will it take place at the Texas Tech Center? So they'll be all over, but that'll be the primary location. Well, I say primary, but really they'll be half and half. So they'll be part-time at centers, part-time at our facility. So if we wanted to get involved with that, if we wanted to take advantage of that program, uh, we contact centers, contact Texas Tech? Yes. Okay. When is that going to start? Well, so we are in the process of seeking funding at this point, and um, we are gaining a lot of progress on that. We haven't gotten the full funding for the first five years that we're seeking, but we're on our way. Our goal is to start in the fall, hopefully October. Yeah. And there's nothing like this in West Texas. Not that I'm aware of. I've looked, and I don't see anything. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is I think that I counted 14 master's uh, um, counseling programs in the West Texas region. And... There's nothing when they get out. They have to figure out how to get licensed and how to build their clinical hours. And so hopefully this will fill that gap for them. So this is a very innovative project for our funders to get involved in. So we encourage anyone who has an interest to to come on and give us a call. <laughs> Definitely. And if you wanted to donate to the cause, you can go to the center's website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure Texas Tech has a, a website with a donation option? Well, we work slightly differently because we're a state institution. And so if someone was involved, they could contact me directly and I could get them to the right place or contact Christy. Contact us and we'll let them know, uh, give them information. And Stephanie, if you can give us your phone number and address of your office. Yes, ma'am. So I am located at 701 West 5th Street in Odessa, Odessa, Texas. It's the Texas Tech Physicians Clinic building. And the number there is 432-703-5200. Great. Is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners before we end the show today? Sure. You can purchase in session on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Right. <laughs> 
Go buy it. Buy Look it forward today. to be a movie. That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> Shonda Rhimes, I'm coming for you. <laughs> and we're going with it. <laughs> thank you, Stephanie. And thank you, Melanie, Christy. Thank you. Centers Solutions is a production of the Recording Library of West Texas. Post-production work is done by Bailey Hennis and Abby Wiggum. Content is provided by Melanie Size and Christy Edwards. Contact Centers for Children and Families at 432-570-1084 or the Recording Library at 432-682-2731. Email Melanie with questions you want answered on the show at msize at centerstexas.org. That's M-S-A-I-Z at C-E-N-T-E-R-S-T-X dot O-R-G. Both nonprofits are on all social media platforms. See you next time.